Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. The book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 18. I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found, and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord had, God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The title of the message tonight is, God Established the Family. God Established the Family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to Open your precious word, and I pray that as we look in the word of God tonight, consider the family and your establishment thereof. We pray you'd help us to see some things that would help us and encourage us and challenge us in our families and our walk with you. For our good and thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the introduction to his book titled The Christian Family, Larry Christensen said this, The Christian family, therefore, does not exist for its own benefit. It's created to bring glory and honor to God. The blessing of man is a derivative. In other words, it's a secondary effect. A byproduct. Those who stubbornly hold that their own happiness and convenience are the highest goals of family life will never understand God's plan for marriage and the family. For they do not grasp the underlying structure the basic starting point. Most books on family life start with man, then try to include God as a helpful additive, a kind of celestial STP, guaranteed to pep up sluggish family life. This book comes out at the other way around. The family belongs to God. He created it. He determined its inner structure. He appointed for its, its purpose and goal. By divine permission, a man and woman may cooperate with God's purpose and become part of it. But the home they establish remains his establishment. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labor in vain it build it. Psalm 127.1 The children receive their status as members of the family by his act. Thus it is not our marriage, but his marriage. Not our home, but his home. Not our children, but his children. Not our family, but his family. This might sound like pious rhetoric, but it works itself out in a thoroughly down-to-earth fashion. If Jesus is truly Lord in your family, it will influence everything from the way you decorate your house to the way you spend your summer vacation, unquote. I believe that's a very true statement. 
you know, God, we see here in Genesis chapter 2, that God established the first family from which all families have come. From which all families have come. And I want to notice several things tonight. First of all, God's purpose for the family, and then we're going to look at the priority of the family. So as we consider the God's purpose for the family, I want to notice three things. First of all, God's purpose in creating the family was to satisfy our need for human companionship. If you notice in verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. You know, Adam had, you know, he was a very wise man. I mean, they say that we use less than 10% of our brain power. You know, I don't know what kind of brain power Adam have. Could you, but you couldn't, could you imagine naming all the creatures? I mean, you know, I've had science in school, and I still couldn't tell you what, you know, those little bugs are, the, you know, those little things that crawl around the ground, even in our country are, let alone go to Africa and name all the, what those are, and, you know, and, and all the different kinds of monkeys and all that kind of stuff. But Noah named all these. Now, he was a very wise man. And, of course, you know, God created everything, and he saw it was very good, but the Bible says there was, that it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And, of course, this speaks of human companionships. Human companionship. The word companion, uh, in fact, it means to associate with or accompanies another or a mate. And, and of course, this, the, the greatest companionship is within the context of a lifetime commitment of love with a person of the opposite gender is where we get our deepest, uh, satisfy our deepest needs for companionship are met. In Genesis chapter 22, or 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Uh, so we see this, you know, throughout the scriptures, this need for companionship, uh, uh, or satisfaction for companionship, uh, in the life of a man and a woman. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, the Bible says, Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of the youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and verses 9 through 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. There the Bible says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone. When he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they can have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, chapter 9 and verse 9. Again, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. And of course, in Malachi chapter 2, in verses 14, it actually uses the word companion 
there in that passage, Malachi 2 and verse 14, Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And so God made marriage, he may establish the home for companionship, to meet the needs of man and woman and uh, for companionship. Uh, you know, everybody needs companionship. You know, I've talked to people, you know, older people who maybe the spouses have died and, and they talk about the, the loneliness that they have because of the, the loss of companionship. You know, Song of, Song of Solomon speaks of this. You know, it's probably the greatest and most beautiful account of loving friendship and sensual love on written record. And, you know, there's words of love, there's words of affection, the words of kindness. You know, they're spoken to each other and spoken to others. And, in fact, in, in uh, Song of Songs in chapter 5, and verses uh, 6 to 16. Song of Songs, chapter 5, verses 6 to 16. You know, most, of, most of songs, is, they're talking to each other. But in chapter 5, and verse 6, it says, I opened to my beloved, but it, my beloved had withdrawn himself and was going away. My soul fa- failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem. So, so here's the, 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 the bride speaking to the daughters of Jerusalem. If you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick with love. Uh, and what is thy beloved? And, and the daughters answer, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? That thou dost so charge us. So what's so special about him? That's really what they're saying. And she says... My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is the most fine gold, his locks are bushy and black as raven. His eyes are the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with a burl, his belly as a bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So it, it, it is... You know, words of affection, of, of kindness and love. You know, again, it's very intimate. And, of course, uh, you know, this, this kind of loving, uh, this, this loving, uh, kind, considerate, close relationship of companionship in marriage is illustrative of Christ and his churches. And we find that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 21 through 28. In Ephesians 5... <clears throat> verses 21 through 28, where the Bible says, Submitting yourselves one to another in in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it 
he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So, you know, again, one of God's purposes in the establishment of the family is to satisfy our need, the human need, for companionship. Companionship. Second thing we see, it is to provide an environment in which to raise children to serve the Lord. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. Of course, this is talking about the husband and wife. You know, really chapter 2 kind of explains how God made woman from man. But here we see God blessed them. He's speaking of husband and wife. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now go to chapter 9 and verses... Chapter 9 and verse... uh, one, <clears throat> and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, then in verse uh, uh, 5 he says, and, I will sh- and surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God made he man. And you be ye fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth. And multiply therein. So the purpose of this commandment is not to see how many children you have, but is to raise or develop a godly seed. To raise or develop a godly seed. We see this also mentioned in Malachi chapter 2 very clearly. Malachi chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15. Matthew, Malachi 2, 14 and 15, where it says, Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant, and did not he make one? Yet he had the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? So why did God make one? Why did God establish the marriage relationship? For companionship, but also that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his, un- of, his, of his youth. So, the family unit which God established provides the best environment for raising children. I mean, that's without, that is without dispute. Unless you talk to the LBGTQ, uh, UV, XYZ, you know, group, whatever they are. That are very perverted in their thinking. You know, it provides provides protection for a child from harmful influences during developmental stages. You know, you think about it. Genesis 128, he said, I've given it to establish... uh, 
to subdue and and uh, uh, well, I'll get to that later. But but anyway, this is this is it protects it provides protection from children from harmful influence during developmental stages. Now I want, I want, to, I want you to go along with me here. Let's go to start in Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter one. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter one. I realize I'm looking at a lot of scriptures tonight, but um, that's on purpose. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 says, My son. Now, we know Solomon wrote this under inspiration of God. And these are things we're going to see that his father taught him. And you're going to see this phrase over and over again. My son, my son, my son, my son. My son. But it's not just David. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us wait for blood, let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down in the pit, we shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our houses with spoil, cast in thy lot among us, let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood, and surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Again, chapter 2. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart unto understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and lift up thy voice for understanding, and so on. It goes on. Now, my question I want to ask you tonight is, why does Solomon got not go in the way of Amnon, Absalom, or Adonijah? Why didn't he? We know that Amnon, you know, was so in, in, in desirous of his sister that he raped her, and then he hated her. I mean, he was a very unstable guy. And then Absalom, you know, usurped his father's throne. And, and drove him out of Jerusalem. And then Adonijah decides, well, Absalom didn't succeed, but maybe I can, you know, and Dave, my dad's getting old, and he's about ready to die. Maybe I can just exalt myself, and I can be king. You know, all three of these lost their lives because of their foolishness. Because of their rebellion against God-appointed authority, their dad. Now, all of these, even Solomon, were from a dysfunctional family, we would say. David's family was dysfunctional. You know, he had many wives, not as many as Solomon, but he had too many. There was lots of problems. But see, I believe the key to the success of Solomon, and of course, we know Solomon strayed later in life, but, but as a young man, he was faithful to the Lord. He followed his father's instruction and his mother's. Don't forget that. And his mother's. You know, again, in 1.8, my son, 
hear the instruction of the father and the law of thy mother. You know, in chapter 2, verse 1, my son. Chapter 3, verse 1, my son. Chapter 4, verse 1, my son. Chapter 4, verse 20, my son. Chapter 5, verse 1, my son. Chapter 6, verse 1, my son. Chapter 7, verse 1, my son. Over and over again you hear him say, my son. These are things that my father taught me. But he also said, forsake not the law of my mother. You know, mothers can lay down the law. Look at chapter 31. Chapter 31. The words of King Lemuel. That's another name for Solomon. The prophecy that his mother taught him. And you know what she's teaching him about? In other words, Solomon, you stay away from strong drink. Because it will corrupt and pervert your judgment. And Solomon, you stay away from strange women because they will lead you astray. That's what she taught him. You need to find a virtuous woman. Her price is far above rubies. You see, the home provides an environment in which to raise children to serve the Lord. And part of that is it provides protection from harmful influences during their developmental stages. Secondly, it also provides an opportunity for intensive training in the way of the Lord. That is, to learn to submit and obey authority. To me, and I believe, I think the scripture will, will prove this, there is nothing as important in a child's life, as learning to obey their parents. And and, uh, you'll see why. This is crucial. This is crucial. Proverbs 23, 12 and 13. Proverbs 23, 12 and 13. Now to the liberal mind of today, the book of Proverbs and instruction of the Bible concerning child raising is strict. It's abusive. But look where their child training has got us. A society of uncivilized, animal-acting-like creatures who have no control over themselves and and no respect for authority, who would rather riot, and they think it's okay to riot because, after all, it's just property. It's all right to burn down buildings. It's just property, as long as it's not lives. You know, it's just property. Sad to say we've got authorities who think that's okay. But the Bible doesn't think it's okay. Let me see here. Notice, notice, I get off on that. Anyway, Proverbs 23, verse 12, says, Apply thine heart unto instruction, thine ears to the words of knowledge. So listen up. Here's some knowledge and here's some instruction. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Look at chapter 29, verse 15. Chapter 29, verse 15 through 18. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. You know, if some of these... Riders today had been whipped soundly. 
by my dad, they'd have a little more wisdom about them. Rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself. You know, we talk about, what's the, what's the term, latchkey children? You know, they're just kind of left to themselves, to take care of themselves. Dad works, mom works, they're home alone. You know, they, they, they let themselves out to school in the morning. They let themselves in when they get home when there's nobody there. And, and you know, they're just kind of left to themselves. And, you know, dad spends his time watching football or whatever show he wants to on TV. You don't spend any time with him. And mom's, you know, uh, busy, you know, occupying herself with whatever she wants to do. And the kids just, oh, you just need to take care of yourself. No. A child left himself bringeth his mother to shame. When the wicked are multiplied, verse 16, when the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest, yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, because the preaching and proclaiming of the law of God, the people perish. He that keepeth the law happy is he. Your Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we're talking here about purposeful, intentional training. The interesting thing is, even the lost world does it with dogs and cats and all kinds of pets. They have purposeful, intentional training. Yeah, we just got another dog. Got her from the pan. You know, I expected we'd get something from the pan and then we'd have to train it. Somebody invested some money in this dog. I can walk her down the road and have other dogs yapping at me and she stays with me. And I, you know, she starts to get ahead of me and I just jerk on that leash a little bit and she backs, slows down till I catch up. And then she kind of goes, you know, she walks with you. Somebody spent some time intentionally training her. You know, you know we, again, we do it with dogs. We let our kids to themselves. You know, the while the dog is chewing their bone, you take it. What are you doing? Training it to obey you, to submit to you. You know, while your child is playing with his favorite toy, have them give it to you. On command. Have them give it to you on command. If they refuse, that's rebellion. You say that's cruel. No, what you're teaching them to do is to respond to your voice, respond to your command, to respond on command. You know, you know, make your dog, you know, while, they're getting, while you're getting out of a treat for your dog, make it sit still and wait for you to say it's okay to come get it. You know, throw it on the floor and tell it to stay. That's things people do with dogs. Until you give approval. Again, that means to respond on command. And, and so how do you get your children to do that? Practice. Intentional. Don't just Wait. For them to disobey, practice. Practice. To get them to respond 
on command. Yo, Genesis 18, 19 says of Abraham, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Uh, it's Dr. Bill Rice III that said that you want to get your children to respond to your word without raising your voice. And really, the home is a perfect place to learn responsibility, complete a job, and do it right. It's a place to to learn respect of the property of others. You know, you just can't take what's your mom's because you like the looks of it. Or you can't take what's your brother's just because you want to play with it. Or your sister's. Just because you want to. You know, there should be boundaries established that just because, you know, again, just because something is on the coffee table doesn't mean they can play with it. And if you put it up so they can't play with it, you haven't taught them any boundaries. You should be able to leave things out in your in your your house. Now, I wouldn't recommend things that you don't want broken, but you should you should teach your children that there are things that they are not allowed to touch because it's not theirs. Do you know what you're teaching them? When they go out those doors as an adult, and they they need some firewood, and they drive down the road, they see a dead tree in the neighbor's yard. They're gonna realize, oh, that's not mine. I can't just go over and cut it just because I need some firewood. Do you know there are people who actually do that? I was talking to a friend of mine years ago, probably about 10, 15 years, well, before I moved here. So we're going 20 years ago. And he said one day, you know, he, was, he came driving home, and there's a pickup truck along the side of the road, and the guy was in his property cutting up a tree. You know, the problem was that man was never taught boundaries at home. Never taught boundaries. He is never taught to respect the personal property of others. And the principle of property rights. You know, my kids used to trade cars. They had each their own, you know, and they were always wheeling and dealing in cars because they each had their own, you know. And, you know, if they want to trade and whatever, that's fine. But, but you know, they, they weren't allowed just to take what was somebody else's. And they shouldn't be. You know, just because, just because there's something uh, at my house that one of the grandkids likes doesn't mean they're allowed to have it. They can't just play, in my, and play with, with, with what is mine just because they want to without asking permission. Not that I ever say no, but <clears throat> yeah, I do sometimes. <laughs> but but you know, again, this the home is an excellent place for training in the way of the Lord. Amen. Thirdly, the home that God established is a place to provide stability for society. Again, in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight. The Bible says there they're to multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. 
Now, the word subdue it means to bring it into subjection. The word dominion, have dominion over, means to rule over. Now, so this has the idea of an authority structure that, you know, the animals were to be brought into subjection to man. The earth was to be subdued and dominated by man. And, And what we see in our world today is, you know, the trees have rights, and the animals have rights, and, and the children have their rights. And the whole thing is reversed. It's all reversed. Because we've thrown off what God has said. You see, where does that start, and where does that break down? Well, it started to break down in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 17. Genesis three seventeen. This is where it started to break down. And Adam's... And, and unto Adam he said, this is God speaking here, God said unto Adam, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of life. You have hearkened to you the voice of your wife over me. See, the one he was to be under dominion to, and under authority to, was God, not Eve. He was to be her head. Therefore, he was not to hearken to her. And we get into big, long discussion what would have happened if he wouldn't, but it doesn't matter because he did. I'm not going to get into that anyway. Uh, but no, this is, where, this is where it started to break down. And then in Genesis chapter 4, you have an unruly child that will not submit to authority and killed his brother, Cain. In chapter 4, starts multiple wives. Lamech. And by chapter 6, man was, every imagination of a man's heart was only evil continually. He was no longer subduing his own flesh. Subduing his own life. There was no longer any dominion or, or, or rule in society. You know, and, a, and it, the family unit is foundational to a society, uh, to a civil society. Again, in Genesis chapter 9, uh, you know, this is where God gives the command of capital punishment, and it really instituted human government. And he says, surely your blood of your lives will I require at your hand of every beast will I require it, the hand of every man, the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Who shall sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you be you fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So, so again, this was, this was the, is the found, is foundation, the family unit is foundation to a civil society. You know, a culture is only as strong as its families. And thinking about that, I would say our nation is in serious trouble. But you know, our church is only as strong as the families make it up. Now, is it any wonder that the home is under relentless attack? Satan knows the strength of any society, of any culture, is the family unit. Now, even the communists know 
one of the tenets of communism for overtaking a, crom, a, a country is to feminize the men and masculinize the women. You undermine the family unit. See, this is God's purpose in the family. It provides stability for society. Then I have to notice the priority of the family. The priority of the family. Uh, Go to Genesis chapter 2 again. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 and verse 23 and 24. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, consider the priority. The word priority means the right to precede others in rank. And it says the man is to leave and to cleave unto his wife. That word leave means to forsake, to loose, to relinquish. Of course, to cleave means to pursue or to be lovingly devoted to. So when a man and a woman marry, all other relationships become secondary in priority to theirs including parents, siblings, friends, etc., etc. There should be no one that has priority, priority over your spouse. No one. You know, the husband has now been given authority or headship over his wife. When a When a father walks his daughter down the aisle and the preacher asks him, who giveth this woman to be married to this man? And he says, I do. Really what he's saying is, I am relinquishing my authority over my daughter and giving it to this man. She's no longer my authority, under my authority. She's under his authority. You know, that's not an easy thing to give up. But it needs to be done. It needs to be done. In fact, it is right to be done. Anything else is wrong. And he is, of course, he is to love and lead her. You know, the parental authority then has been relinquished over their children once they are married. They are their own autonomous family once they get married. You know, you can worry and fuss and chew your nails all you want to about them, but they're not your responsibility anymore. You know, they're an autonomous family. Grandparents have no rights over their children. No authority. Again, you can worry and fuss, you know, as much as I hate to say this, you know, but, you know, parents, parents, and I've seen this, parents can cause division or drive a wedge in their children's home. And that's a dangerous thing. 
but because they seek to maintain control. And that's a sin not only against their children, it's a sin against God. And, and again, although it kills me to say this, grandparents do not make good parents. You can say amen or say oh me, one or the other. <laughs> we tend to be permissive. You know, that little red-haired girl with those curls, I mean, she just wraps herself around your little finger, you know? And that little grandson? Hmm. So when our children marry, they're no longer under our authority. And, you know, sometimes parents need to be reminded of that. The priority is to leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. That is the priority of the family unit. And so, and again, this is to establish, this is to establish uh, for the purpose of glorifying the Lord. You know, Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. You know, God knows who is best suited to raise children. You know, children take a lot of energy. They're a lot of work. They are worth it. They're a heritage of the Lord. They're precious. But they do require a lot of energy. And Papa and Nana sometimes are thinking, they're gone. <laughs> we love to see them come, but they're gone, you know. They have to go home and sleep with mom and dad. Uh, but that is the priority. You know, the role kind of changes. Your grandparents can be a great help and a great blessing. But we need to remember grandparents, and there's quite a few of us here, we need to remember what our part is now. What our part is now. Again, God established the family. He established it for his glory, for his honor. And I don't believe there's anything that is a greater testimony to the goodness of God as a family that serves the Lord. Children that are in obedience to their parents. That's a testimony. That are in subjection to their parents in a home where there's harmony and peace that glorifies him.